Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We hope that today's been a great day for our fathers. We want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And we are always glad to have the opportunity to honor those to whom honor is due. And so we honor our mothers and our fathers. And we appreciate so much the great influence that you have been in our lives. We're going to be looking tonight at Hebrews chapter 11 as we think about the journey of faith and life is a journey and hopefully and prayerfully the journey our journey here upon planet earth will be one of faith in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 1 the writer said therefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us the writer there calls to mind the great saints of days gone by. And in looking back to chapter 11, we read of many men and, many men and women who lived by faith. And so we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. And I want to direct your minds to Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Before we get started tonight, I do want to just make mention of the fact that we have a lot of things that are upcoming this summer. We've got our VBS that's going to be on us before you know it, and we want to encourage everyone to be a part of that. We want to do our best to encourage everyone to participate, to reach out to your friends and neighbors, invite them to come and to be a part of that. And then I know that this Saturday is Jared and Anna's wedding. If you could have only seen the look that Jared gave me a moment ago. I said during Bible class this morning, I remember when Nancy was pregnant with Braden. And the local preacher got up, I was the associate preacher, and the local preacher got up and he said, I'm going to tell you what they tell the Marines when they get off the bus at Paris Island. He said, life as you once knew it has now ceased. <laughs> Welcome to marriage. It's a great life. Can be a great life. And so we wish them our best. And uh, it'll be here before you know it. And so I know that Jared's folks are in town for that, and it'll be a good week, a great week, if everybody can maintain their composure. I know Danny and Yvette have had a tough time sleeping, and they've had their share of problems, but we know that they will, they will endure one way or another. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 tonight as we think about the journey of faith. As we look at chapter 11, probably what stands out in this great chapter are the many individuals who lived and died by faith. If you want, to, if you want to, to see firsthand individuals that adorned their lives with faith in Almighty God, then this is a chapter. It's probably one of the great chapters in all of Scripture because it invites us to follow in their footsteps. Life is indeed a journey and what we want to do is make the most of this life, and we want to do it in service to God. When you read about the men and women that are spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see that one of the things that they share in common is their great faith and obedience to Almighty God. I want to begin tonight by talking about the people of faith, and there are a lot of different characters in chapter 11 that we could isolate and talk about. But as we look at some of the saints of the Old Testament, there are some great men and women that are spoken of 
not just in the Old Testament, but also in chapter 11. And time would not permit us to examine the lives of all of these individuals. Really, we're just going to very briefly talk about some of these people. But I think the way they lived and the way they conducted themselves here upon this earth has something to say to all of us. And it helps us as we journey here on planet earth and as we journey by faith. So we begin by looking at Abel. When you look at Abel in verse 4, you're reminded of somebody who worshipped God by faith. Now we talk about Abel worshiping God by faith and then there is Enoch who walked by faith. We read about Noah, a man who worked by faith. And then there is Moses, a man who demonstrated the wisdom of faith. But just think for a moment or two about the idea of worshiping by faith. Listen to what the writer said. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. This account takes us back to Genesis chapter 4, where the children of Adam and Eve offered sacrifices to Jehovah God. The Bible tells us that Cain offered unto God from the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel he brought forth of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Moses tells us in this inspired account that God had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. There are two things that I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, worship, all worship is directed by God. You can go back to the patriarchal period, and that's the period that we're talking about with regard to Cain and Abel. That worship was directed by God. Under the Mosaic dispensation, God, in a very clear and, and concise, even precise way, talked about how the Israelite nation was to approach him in worship. And then we talk about the Christian dispensation. We are to worship God, as Jesus would say, in spirit and in truth. That means we are to worship him with the right attitude and by the authority of Scripture. Jesus would say in Matthew 28, at verse 18, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. God the Father said in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, concerning Jesus, that we are to hear him. Everything that we do in the sphere of worship is directed, legislated, if you please, by Almighty God. Nowhere in Scripture do we find God allowing man the latitude to dictate how he or she will worship God. It's never been the case. God is our creator. As our creator, he has the right to say how we're to worship him. If you look at Isaiah chapter 6, you find that worship is not only directed by God, but it is directed to God. When we stand in the presence of worship, we are in the presence, or rather when we stand, when we stand together in worship, we are standing in the presence of Jehovah God. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible tells us that Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and he said the train of his temple filled 
The train of his robe filled the temple. And the idea is that God is a being who is high and lifted up and who is worthy of our worship. That's why the angelic beings said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, as we think about how worship is directed by God, it is also directed to God. We bow in the presence of the great I Am. The word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. We are giving the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe that which he is due. When we come together to worship, it's not about me, it's not about other people. Now there are byproducts and benefits to our worship. We are edified, we are encouraged and strengthened by our presence, mutual presence. But when it's all said and done, worship is about God. I said this morning in our Bible class hour that God is the audience in worship. Sometimes we talk about how we are the audience. We're not the audience. God is the audience. We are the ones that participate. We are the participants of worship. Jesus said, God is spirit. They that worship him, the they that Jesus is talking about is the assembly. He said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you have the assembly Worshiping Almighty God. The obligation imposed upon the assembly, that is we must worship Him in spirit, that is with the right attitude, our heart, our mind attuned to what's taking place in worship. And then in truth, that is by the authority of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, we want to make sure that we have a thus saith the Lord for. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, one of the things that stands out is here is a man who worshiped God by faith. Now somebody asked the question, well, how did Abel know how to give God an animal sacrifice? Well, do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Obviously, he had been instructed. And he was simply complying with the will of Almighty God. Now somebody asked us, why is it that you engage in certain acts of worship? Why do you have preaching? Why do you sing? Why do you partake of the Lord's Supper? Why do you give on the first day of the week? Because that's what God has mandated. And as the one who has directed us, we want to direct our worship to him. And so God is the object of our worship. And then we think about walking by faith. Look, if you would, at verses 5 and 6. The writer said, By faith Enoch was translated, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now let me just pause there, and then we're going to look at Noah in just a moment. Did you know that faith demands that we walk in harmony with the will of God? Back in Genesis chapter 5, we have a commentary of man. The commentary is he died. Over and over again, that expression is found. And yet on it, and yet Enoch did not die, did he? The Bible tells us that he was translated. He was, take, he was taken. He did not see death. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 5, with regard to Enoch, the Bible says he pleased God. How did he please God? By walking according to his will. Is it possible for us as members of the human family to be pleasing to Almighty God? I think the answer is yes. How can we please Jehovah God? By complying with his will. Did you know that if you want to show your genuine love for God, 
If you want to demonstrate how much you think of God, then just honor his will. Do what he says. John would say in 1 John chapter 1 that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. The assurance is that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. To know that when I walk in harmony with the will of God, the blood of Christ is constantly working in my behalf. We're not perfect people, are we? If we were perfect, we wouldn't need the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, we are imperfect people serving a perfect God. And God has made provisions for us to walk in harmony with His will. And as we walk in harmony with the will of God, we have the assurance that we enjoy or maintain fellowship or communion with Him. We are people of like precious faith, as Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And as people of like precious faith, we enjoy mutual fellowship with one another, but most importantly, we have fellowship with God. Now somebody asked the question, well, what happens if I stumble and fall? What if, I'm, what if I don't measure up to the standard that's set forth in Scripture? The Bible says that Enoch pleased God. Well, what happens if I make a mistake, if I fall short of the glory of God? Well, John said in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. But, he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, when we stumble and fall, we have the assurance that if we turn to God, confess our faults, repent of our sins, he will forgive us. That's a great blessing. To know that whatever we've done in the past is in the past. The writer said, talking about the great covenant under which you and I now live in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now you just think about that for a minute. When you become a child of God, everything that you've ever done in the past that has been contrary to the will of God, it's removed, it's gone, it's no more. But then what about as a child of God when you stumble and fall? Does God hold those faults against you? No, he doesn't. They're gone forever. And so the beauty of walking by faith. Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. Again, how do I walk by faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so as long as I stay in harmony with the will of God, the word of God, I'm on safe ground. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have the light of God's word, and the light of God's word dispels the shroud of spiritual darkness engulfing the world, enabling us to see clearly and helping us ultimately to achieve our goal, and that is to go home to be with God in heaven one day. And then what about working by faith? Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Here we have a record of Noah taking God 
at his word and complying with that word. You remember what he said in Genesis chapter 6? When God surveyed the world, he saw that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. The decree was, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy man whom I have created, both man and beast, every living creature upon the face of the earth was to be destroyed. But God said to Noah, and by the way, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God said to Noah, build an ark of gopher wood. That ark would serve as a means whereby he and his family could escape the judgment of Almighty God. They would be saved. Peter would comment on that in 1 Peter chapter 3. Noah and his family escaped the flood of waters that destroyed every living creature on earth. wonder what the people of Noah's day thought as he built that boat. Have you ever thought about that? Here's Noah laboring away, building this ark. I just imagine people asking him over and over again, Noah, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? The ridicule possibly and the scorn. And yet, note if you would what it said, Noah, being warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Faith is taking God at his word. And doing what he says. Sometimes we say, I don't understand that. Well, we may not necessarily understand all of the implications of the commands that are set forth in the scriptures. But what God wants us to do is by faith to be obedient. In Genesis chapter 6 at verse 22, Moses said concerning Noah, thus did Noah. According to all that God commanded him, so did he. Everything God instructed him to do regarding the building of that ark, Noah did. What a great lesson for us. So you have the worship that is to be by faith, the importance of walking by faith, working by faith, and then the wisdom of faith. Drop down and look if you would. Well, let's just pick up in verse 24 of chapter 11. Here we talk about Moses. The road of faith. Listen to what it said. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Moses had to make some decisions in life, didn't he? When you read the record that is given in the book of Acts by Luke, Luke talks about Moses. And he talks about how he was schooled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Here was a man that had the world at his fingertips. And yet by faith, he understood there is something more important than the treasures in Egypt. There's something more to life than what you see, what we call the here and now. Now, 
Note, if you would, what is said in the latter part of verse 26. We talk about the road of faith, but what about the reward of faith? The Bible says he looked to the reward. For he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Why is it we live by faith? Because we understand that there is a God. He is our creator, he is our sustainer, and he is our redeemer. You and I, we can't see God. We can't touch God. We can't hear him audibly speak to us. We talk about the empirical senses of man. Well, we can't see God, we can't touch God, we can't hear God, but we believe there is a God, don't we? Note again what it said. He saw him who is invisible. You and I, we live by faith because we see him who is invisible. We are living in a world in which the God of this age has left a massive footprint. And the God of this age, the God of this world, is doing everything within his power to lure us into a life of sin and unrighteousness. And so we, like Moses, we have to make choices in life. And hopefully we understand that the road that leads to a reward is the road of faith. Again, Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Do we see those things that are eternal in nature? When it's all said and done here on planet Earth, what then? When we get to the end of the road of life, what then? What kind of legacy are we going to leave? Think about Enoch. We looked at Enoch just a moment ago. The Bible says, he being dead yet speaks. When our names are mentioned years from now and we're dead and gone, what kind of legacy will people think of? Will we be remembered as people of faith? As mamas and daddies of faith, as children of faith, as grandchildren of faith? Will we be remembered as people that made wise decisions in this life? And then there is, secondly, the pilgrimages, the pilgrimage of faith. I want you to look with me at verses 13 through 16. In verses 13 through 16, the writer speaks of the patriarchs of the past as strangers, sojourners, and pilgrims, on the earth. First, I want you to think with me for a moment about the confidence of faith. Listen, if you would, to what he said in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Did you note what the writer said? They had not received the promises, but the Bible says they saw them and they were assured of them. They embraced them. How did they validate the things that they had heard about? Faith. When, when we talk about all of the things that make Christianity so appealing to us. When we talk about our confidence 
in the Lord. Where's that stem from? It stems from the Word, doesn't it? In other words, we have rock-solid faith in the Lord. Here were people that were assured. In, a, in other words, they had tremendous conviction. Their conviction was such that they were looking for a better, a better land, a better place. Now we talk about the confidence that they had, but then the crown that was before them. And before we look at the crown, I want you to think about something with me for a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would say, For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. The term know there. How did the Apostle Paul know for certain that when death invades the human body, we have a house not made with hands? How did he know that? By faith? Revelation? Paul received revelation from Almighty God. He took that revelation, and as he said to the saints at Ephesus, he wrote it down in a few words, whereby when we read, we might understand when you and I, the more time we spend in this book, the greater our conviction. The deeper our assurances are in things that are eternal. When we come to the end of the road here on planet Earth, my prayer is that we have the kind of conviction, the kind of faith that these people had in the long ago, that we believe in heaven. Look, I can't see heaven. Never seen it with the visible eye. But every time I open this book and read about it, I see it. I read about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, as John portrays it in Revelation chapter 21 and also in chapter 22. I can read of the beauty and the blessings associated with heaven. I think about the fact that heaven is a place that is free from the defilements of this world. Now, I can't visibly see heaven like I can see this building. But through the eye of faith, I can see it. And so I, like Paul, and you, like Paul, can say, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now look at verse 13 again. In verse 13, the writer said, these all died in faith. There are only two ways to die, either in faith or out of faith. These died in faith. In verse 14 it says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We talk about the crown of faith, the crown that awaits all of us. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. You and I, we ought to live in a state of joy and happiness. Why? Because we have awaiting us the crown of life. 
Do you remember what Jesus said? Be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. These folks were traveling to a better land. They were on the road to heaven. And then thirdly, the perseverance of faith. When I think about perseverance, the term that comes to my mind is steadfastness. Steady as she goes. If you're going to get through this life, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the joys, the frustrations, the successes, the failures, you're going to have to have a persevering spirit. You're going to have to dig in. You're going to have to resolve to be faithful come what may. Look at the lives of these people in Hebrews chapter 11. Life was no bed of roses. It wasn't wasn't a life of ease. It wasn't a life that was free from pain and heartache and sorrow and trial and tribulation. To the contrary, it was anything but. So, note some of the obstacles that they faced. Pick up with me in verse 32. Just listen to what it said. We talk about the perseverance of these great saints of God in days gone by. When you think about how life sometimes throws you a curve and you think about how tough life is and how you've had a, 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 a down day, a rough day, and you think about how you're frustrated, well, read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and following. Listen to what it said about these folks. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Now let me just stop there. As we read those those words, what kind of picture came to your mind? A life of ease? These people suffered for their faith. They literally laid it all on the line. Look, it was not easy. These people paid the ultimate price in many cases for their faith. We read about those who were sawn in two. Isaiah the prophet, the statesman prophet, historians say he was sawn in two. You go back and you look at some of the great prophets of Almighty God and you think about the difficulties and the trials that they faced in this life. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He talked about the prophets who were persecuted before the disciples. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
And really what Paul is saying is if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you better brace yourself because you're going to be persecuted. These people, they faced obstacles in life. But here's what I want you to see. They overcame. How did they overcome? What, what was the key? Faith. Go back again and look at verse 13. Let, let me just pick up so you can see this. In verse 4, look at what it said. By faith, Abel offered to God. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of, of God of things not seen as yet. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself, etc. But look at verse 13. These all died in faith. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel and say, you know what, I've had enough. They lived, they lived by faith and they died in faith. That's the key. Living by faith and dying in faith. Look, if you do that, you win. We talk about overcoming by faith. The song we sang a moment ago, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Read with me, if you would, verse 6 of chapter 11. By faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me tell you what. You live a life of faith, it will end. It will end in reward. Who will reward you? God will. You want to be blessed in this life? Live by faith. You want to be blessed in the next life? Die in faith. There's a struggle going on in the world in which we live. And sometimes people fail to appreciate and understand the fact that, that look, we're not going to be here forever. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they are living as if they're going to be here forever. And they bought in to the here and now philosophy of life. When you live by faith, what you're, what you're doing is you're looking beyond today. You're looking beyond tomorrow and next month and next year. What you realize is there's something greater than can be seen with the visible eye. That something greater is a place called heaven. We want to go there. And we want you to go. The beauty of scripture is that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You have to decide how you're going to live. We talk about life being a journey. It's a journey. And it's often, it's often filled with Good days and bad days, highs and lows, joys and frustrations, you name it. I can't imagine living in this world without God at my side. Maybe you've tried that. Maybe you're trying it right now. For many people, 
they come to the conclusion a life without God is no life at all. And that's what I want you to see. If you're living without God, you need God in your life because God will bless you. And because ultimately one day, God wants you to be with him in eternity. If you miss eternity, you miss everything. Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There is nothing more valuable than your eternal soul. hope you see that. And I hope having seen that, you will, you will resolve right now to live for him day in and day out. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if your life is not a life of faith, I want to encourage you to come to him tonight. It begins by believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, John 8, 24. Jesus said that if you die in your sins where he is, there you cannot come. So if you have sin in your life, what you need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus and then repent of every sin, as Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts 2, 38. Confess the name of Jesus before others, as he said in Matthew 10, verse 32. Be baptized into Jesus so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. God will then add you to the church. You will be among the redeemed, the cleansed, the saved. And one day the Bible tells us God will come for his church. Read Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. The bride has made herself ready. One day the Lord will come for his people. And you'll be among them. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could we encourage you to come to Christ? To come back to him. We are a family. And we have the opportunity to pray for one another and with one another. Whatever need you may have, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.